Welcome to Leadership Unlocked, an interview-style podcast providing insights on how to lead people. Proudly brought to you by Human Interactions Australia. Welcome to our next episode of uh, Leadership Unlocked. Um, very, very privileged today to have Dr. David Keane all the way from New Zealand. So thank you, Zoom, uh, to, uh, as our next guest. So David, welcome. Great to have you. Thank you very much, Craig. It's a pleasure to be with you and thank you for the invitation to be on your podcast. No, no problem. No problem at all. We've, we've had a few chats over the last six or eight months about uh, what you do. So here's an opportunity for you to pitch uh, what it is you currently do and, uh, and, and what it can do, get, do and give people. All right. Thank you very much, Craig. Um, so uh, for um, the vast majority of my career, I've been interested in the whole subject of success. What brings success to individuals, what brings success to teams, and what brings success to organizations. But I've primarily focused, I guess, on individuals. And uh, over many years, I've uh, really studied the subject in detail. And I guess for me, it all really started happening about 10, 12 years ago, when I decided to set up a business, which took my accumulated um, knowledge from my research at universities and created a program called the 10 Behaviours of Successful People, which is a program that runs in different formats. It can be a two-day workshop, it can be a one-day workshop, it can be a virtual program run over um, several weeks or several days. And uh, so that's really what I've done. I've been passionate about it. And um, we have a, a network of partners, including Human Interactions in Australia, who make the 10 Behaviours of Successful People program, which includes training and coaching, available to organisations and their staff. So that's in summary, Craig, what, what I've been doing. Yeah, fantastic. And so I, what were you doing before that? Well, it, um, my career began with PricewaterhouseCoopers um, many years ago, and I was in the consulting area there. And then in uh, 1988, in fact, what's it, 33 years ago now, I came from Ireland to Victoria University here in Wellington, New Zealand, uh, as an academic in the business school. And I stayed there for 12 years, uh, got my PhD there. Uh, in fact, my PhD was all focused on the study of chief executives and what they do, uh, what brings success to their lives, which really gave me the interest in this whole subject of success. So as, as I say, I was there for 12 years. Then I worked with Deloitte Consulting for a number of years, uh, went overseas. I've got a Kiwi wife, by the way, and <laughs> one daughter. And uh, so we went overseas for six years. And then we came back in 2008, sorry, 2007, uh, we set up the business to 10 behaviors of successful people. So it's, um, it's been a journey. So, but I suppose the common thread really is I've been really passionate about the subject of success. Mm. And, uh, we, we'll probably talk about this in a moment, which is the whole idea of what we mean by success to begin with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, CEOs, that's an interesting space. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're all different types and, and uh, we're seeing a, a male proliferation of CEOs versus female as well. What, what's been your experience around that space of where male and female uh, CEOs, are you seeing any differences of what makes somebody more successful than another? Well, I think the underlying assumption would be, um, and this is, again, I guess something I've changed my mind on over the years, 
mm. uh, in that I think traditionally people define being a CEO as being successful. Um, I don't necessarily believe that to be true anymore. Mm. I think it's a position that somebody has. Now, for somebody in that position, they can have different behaviors that lead them to different success as a CEO. But I don't think the position necessarily is equated to being successful as such. Um, but I think one of the things which I've seen about really good CEOs, whether they're female or male, is this idea of continuous curiosity. Um, they're just really good at continuous learning and they're, um, they're open to the idea, um, and, and this is a phrase I'm, I'm sure you've come across, is the idea that what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. And they're really open to the idea that, especially in the current environment, where the tactics we've used to get to where we are, are not necessarily good tactics for the future. So this idea of being continuously curious and willing to change beliefs, really, um, I think is a fundamental uh, cornerstone of being a good executive. And in fact, being a good person in totality, I would say as well. It it suggests to me that... um... Yes, I can do the job, but I'm also willing to add to my skills, add to my ability that I'm not, I, as you say, I'm not successful. It's not, what was that old saying? Success is a journey, not a destination. Yeah. What is that? And, and I know some of these sayings can be a little bit corny, but I don't know, some of them actually do ring true, Ryan. And so I guess, so what is the definition of success for you? Well, this has taken me years to come up with, and uh, I wish <laughs> it was be more good. complex uh, <laughs> because to be more believable. I guess. <laughs> um, so, so the way I've defined success is is the following, and quite carefully, I'll, I'll say it twice just to to really get it clear. Um, su- success then is being on the pathway to the achievement of worthwhile dreams, whatever those dreams might be. Success is being on the pathway to the achievement of worthwhile dreams, whatever those dreams might be. So we could take that sentence and and sort of go into it and take each word off and say, well, you know, what's the meaning of that and and what's behind it? But I think fundamentally what this is about is, um, and I think it's really important in in the kind of organizational context, is that I'm seeing more and more that success for individuals these days is not just about their job. You know, it's a much richer picture than that. Mm. And uh, I think that's a really healthy thing, you know. And um, so that's in summary, Craig, I guess would be my definition of it. But once we move away from this traditional notion of success being around the typical things like money, power, fame, position, yeah. or even more recently, notoriety has become a, a factor for success and how famous somebody is or whether they're an influencer or whatever. Mm. Once we lay all those things to the side and we say, well, actually, people have a much bigger palette to be working with than simply those traditional ideas. Um, I think it's really exciting that somebody can actually create their unique definition of success for themselves that's independent of other other people's definition of success. It just releases the, um, the possibility of people being successful in different ways, in different uh, terms, inside and outside of work. So I've heard in the past from uh, a mate of mine who's a psychologist that often he's seeing uh, leaders come into his, uh, to his practice and the common language they're using is, I feel stuck. 
Mm. Um, how does how does this concept of uh, being on a journey to achieve these dreams, whatever those dreams are, correlate with a position that they're already in, or not? And or, and is it that black and white? And can you adapt and refine it to yeah, to yeah. correlate better? I think it's a really interesting notion you have there of that that sense of feeling stuck. Um, like I'm curious, you know, you've coached a lot in your many years. Um, what's your experience of of that idea of working with people who feel stuck? What's behind it? Do you think, from your point of view? Um, I think they've got caught in the system. I think they've got caught in the system that a bit like what you're suggesting is that if I get to the CEO, I've made it. And often people get to that space and there's still something missing. So I think there's been this system and this concept in life that if you get to a position, you're the best. And I still think we see that. I still see we we see parents thinking that their child's going to be the next, you know, uh, Australian footballer or the next Australian cricketer. But the reality is that the number of people playing sport to number 11 people in a team, that can't that can't happen. No. Yeah. It's a totally unrealistic expectation. Yes. Uh, and, and in some ways it's setting people up for failure, isn't it? Oh, I think it is. I definitely think. I don't think it's very realistic. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting thing how um, I think uh, we influence our kids in terms of the meaning of success and what it is. Uh, I think that whole um, idea of making success success and destinational is really problematic because the issue is what happens when you get there yeah you know and oftentimes in sport for example like we notice in recent times post the olympics is um one of the big risk factors for athletes is when they do succeed what happens next in fact oftentimes and i've worked with many athletes myself um like they're all goal-orientated to a goal, but their definition of, su- of success is so narrow that what happens when they achieve it? Oftentimes, um, you know, they're long, no longer in the spotlight. Their, their meaning of, of their lives needs to be re-looked at. Well, their identity is, is taken away from them almost. Is it? Well, let's face it, in New Zealand, you only, have, you only have rugby union players. There's no other athletes in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> very good athletes, but <laughs> yeah, the ones we have are very, very good. Nobody else, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, um, so, what, what are what are your thoughts? So, how how do you blend this concept of, or how do you refine people's thinking in leadership roles? Uh, uh, what success really is for that person? Yeah. Well, I'm a real believer in this idea of modelling behavior and you know you can talk about things until the cows come home but what people really believe is what you do as a leader yeah um so to answer your question there i think for a leader to ask the question well who am i being you know am i modeling the behavior that i want to see in my team or in the wider organization if you're the ceo um so for example being able to articulate what success is to you as a leader 
And it could well be that a leader would be totally um, vulnerable and say, look, I'm, I'm having challenges in these areas, you know, I'm just being honest about that. Yeah. Um, they might define successes, for example, to do with their family, you know, not their organization at all. Their, their job as a leader is an aspect of who they are. It is not who they are. Um, so I think that's really healthy. Um, it's interesting. I've just made some notes here in terms of our conversation today, Craig, about recent things I've been reading and about the subject of success. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that um, there was an article came out there about two weeks ago in the Harvard Business Review that was talking about the number of people at the moment wanting to change jobs? Yeah. Yeah. It is just a huge um, phenomena in the world. Yeah, um, I find that intriguing given the financial insecurity of it all. Yeah, you, you think you're almost the opposite. You almost think that, you know, kind of that ability for stability, stability would be a predominant driver. But no, um, it's fascinating. Um, there was something I was reading, like I said, said like something like 50% of people are actively thinking about what they're going to do next. And I think part of it has been brought along because of the past, you know, 18 months. Um, we've had this unique opportunity, you know, in simple terms, to think about ourselves because we've, po- we've all done this global pause. Mm. But that we've had the spaciousness to think about what's really my life about, what's really important to me now. Mm. Um, and, of course, coming out of that, we're seeing this idea that perhaps the job I'm in is not really in alignment with what I truly believe to be important or what I value. Mm. And in some ways, we've been given permission to ask these questions now because so many people are doing that, you know. Um, So I think it's a really interesting thing, what's happening right now. And um, I think there's a a unique... um, obligation almost on leaders to help their staff answer and ask or ask and answer these questions uh, for their staff. I think, yeah, that was going to be my next question. It sounds to me like there's a responsibility on leaderships to leadership teams to be more proactive around having conversations with their team around, I guess, a gamut of things really. It could be just their own mental health, uh, it could be, you know, how you're feeling about where you are in this role. Are you swimming? Are you sinking? Is it really what you want? Like, are you, I guess, is it really what you want in life? We seem to be very task and business focused, but. Yeah. And I think that's the thing with a lot of the, um, the training we've done on, say, productivity and, and so on. It's all about technique. Yeah. And it's getting more efficient. Yes. Um, but now the game has changed in that in that employees are asking these profound questions, not necessarily within the organization, but within their own head. Yeah. And that's even more dangerous because, um, you know, this whole idea of getting alignment with what the organization is trying to achieve is very important now. And um, I think, you know, just in terms with the numbers of 50% of people looking for new jobs, there's a double-edged sword there. If that's the case, there's also people out there, talent that you could potentially recruit um, as well. Yeah. Uh, so therefore, the the conversation around what an organization values and how they want to help the people to become successful in the broadest sense is a really good conversation to promote 
And um, I think a lot of people would get attracted to a conversation like that. So in, in my in my years gone by having you know coaching was a real key aspect of any organization and we found that management didn't really find the time for it probably because they didn't see it as a priority and and maybe they didn't see the value of what dropped out of coaching Mm -hmm. Uh, but gosh it seems like that's even more important now that there has to be a person that's sitting in an organization on a regular basis that can have these these conversations and maybe and maybe even more so it has to be somebody that's not part of the organization but they are an external person yeah yeah i think so even just the the availability of somebody like that whether it's used or not Mm. somewhat secondary but to know that if you're in an organization that there's a safe place for you to go to and i like the idea probably externally an externally Mm. sourced person being available and um I don't know about you, but I've noticed in my coaching over many years now that people tell you things in the coaching room that they would never tell anybody else, including their life partner. Yep. Um, And being able to have a conversation like that with somebody in a safe way, I think would be a real value added for, for leaders that make that available. I'm watching a wonderful series at the moment uh, on Apple TV called Ted Lasso. It's a tremendous series and there's, a, there's an American coach coaching an English football team. He knows nothing about football. He knows nothing about England. Yeah. Uh, so there's that kind of really simple layer, but there's so much depth to it. And they have a psychologist in now in the second series uh, once uh, I think they're there all the day. And you can come and see them or not, but that's available. That person's available. And he's been a bit kind of, oh, I don't know whether this should be here or not. What? Oh, that's my role. Uh, but this last episode I've just watched, he's on her couch, coiled up in a ball and says, I need to make an appointment. Oh. It's beautiful. And it's just the concept that she's there and available I think is really important. And that's, that's kind of something we're going to be, we're doing as well. We're um, becoming accredited as mental health first aiders uh, to be able to do this. I think it's going to be really important for leaders to be able to call people from external organisations to do, to do this. Yeah, it is. And, and part of that journey then is to be able to provide people when appropriate with the right tools to help them. Yes. You know, and um, I, I'm sure you've seen this as well, Craig, but in our traditional education, we, give people really good technical tools, you know, become a better accountant or tax specialist or engineer or whatever it is. Mm. But with this area of self-management, it's very hit and miss. Um, so oftentimes the, the kind of toolkit that people have available to them is very sporadic or, you know, they, they don't know how to use the tools. They don't even know what the tools are that are available to them. Um, so in a, in a context of a kind of wellness conversation that you're talking about, um, I think the, the coach there can really add value by, first of all, listening to the unique case the person is presenting in front of them and then gently offering them say, well, actually, here are some tools that you might be able to use and, um, you know, experiment with them over the next couple of weeks, say. Mm. We'll meet in a couple of weeks again and see how you get on and we'll continue the conversation. And I so don't this think that's just placing the tools. I know for like you've got this skin there, you've got a whole range of things that you guys offer. Yes. And I think tools like that 
at the right time can really help somebody. I think I think too that it doesn't it's not a slight on the on the leader. I think it's a good leader who actually brings this in who is is humble enough and clever enough to go no this is important for my team and I'll, if I if my team are in good space then the chances of them being more productive and more helpful and more committed is a lot higher. And as we've just been talking about the chances of them staying. Yeah. Yeah, because we know that the cost of rehiring people, right? It is huge. And, you know, especially with these days where organizational knowledge will go. Yeah. Um, it's interesting reading the research on um, the shift to um, people working remotely. Uh, one of the things that we now know from, from that is that it's much more difficult to transfer soft organizational knowledge mm. where people are on zoom calls and so on but it's kind of task focused it's not culturally focused or or helping people with value um so i think one of the key things is actually to keep good people is a real challenge especially yeah. when we know that 50 percent of them are got their cvs polished up i had a wonderful conversation with um the quite inspirational melissa david today and she's a young uh, female exec and, you know, she was talking about that she has a Zoom call uh, open all day. So to reflect or to, um, to uh, what's the word I'm looking for, to, to reflect what would happen in the office. So she's saying instead of having a Zoom call specifically for a task or a meeting or a conversation, she leaves it open and if anybody needs to come and talk to her, they just can't. And has it been used? She's using it, yeah. And, her, and are people coming to talk? Yeah. Her EA who's in Malaysia is talking and, uh, yeah, this, yeah, she's finding that it's a really, she's literally just replicating, that's what I was looking for, replicating what would happen in the office but just leave a Zoom call on all day. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a really interesting space. But, he, you know, this is, this is the thought patterns of a 31-year-old leader, right? They're, they're embracing this technology like never before. Wow. And is she doing that every day or is it only on selected days? I, I didn't today? get to the detail, but she certainly, uh, the conversation we had, she told me that the meeting was open and that so people can see her working and people can hear her phone call. So that indirect learning that uh, people would have by just sitting near somebody uh, is still being able to be facilitated because the Zoom call is open as if she was in the pod next door. What a clever idea. Yeah, I know. Don't you hate these 30-year-olds? <laughs> yeah. It's like the opposite of what we had um, around, like, email-free Fridays. Yes. It's like turning it around its head, really. Yeah, it's well, she was saying, availability. She was saying uh, too, that um, four-day-a-week uh, working environments is kind of where to move to uh, that... You know, people will work two days a week at home and three days in the office, but when they come into the office, it has to be has to be purposeful. It just isn't coming in just to be there kind yeah. of thing. There'll be more purpose behind it. There's a, a Harvard Business Review article on that as well. So it's an intriguing, intriguing time for leaders. I think leaders have to lead completely different. Your thoughts? Oh, I do. And uh, so I started off saying there, you know, first of all, being a model yourself. Mm. Um, so you're, you're, you're thinking very much about yourself and you're thinking, what signals am I giving off as a leader just by the way I'm behaving? Yeah. Right? yeah. To begin with, you know, it starts at home. 
Um, but then I think that whole idea of the human side of the equation and knowing how people are feeling, where they're at, being able to judge mood, being able to judge, you know, the reality of it rather than what we, what we think, yeah. um, I think will be a, a key skill of, of, of that. Um, so I think, you know, as we said, as leaders, we've got, uh, we're at a time in history where we really have to provide a facility or a way of people making meaning of success in their lives. Yeah. You know, and um, in fact, one of my favorite authors is a fellow called Richard Leader. And, and he's got this most wonderful phrase, which is the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. <laughs> you know, the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. And I think and, that's where people have been challenged at the moment. Is what oh. what is my purpose? Why why am I here now? And I, I know for me, like I've even made a conscious decision to um, focus on the kids in homeschooling because that's important for them, mm-hmm. and it's important for me because if I don't change my focus and know that this is my purpose now, then. Uh, I'll only get frustrated because I'm not getting stuff done that I want to do. But if I know that my purpose right now is to support and love and teach these kids, then you're in a much better space, a much different space. Yeah, but look at the amount of pressure you've taken off yourself. Yeah. And and also guilt, actually, Craig. Mm. You know, like that can really play in your mind. So you're, you know, um, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were saying, you know, they were feeling torn um, because on one hand they had all this work to do, but on the other hand, their two-year-old kid wanted to go out and play in a puddle, you know? <laughs> and I started advice to them, like, put your planner away. Don't worry about your work for the moment. Just enjoy that kid. Yes. And be totally present while you're both in the puddle. Yeah. You know? And, and I think, again, I think for me, and it may seem as like a long bow, but, you know, I've even seen from, I see this as leadership, this ability to be, uh, to adapt and refine and think differently. So, you know, we, I've been doing things with the kids around maths where they've got to do their times table. And so I guess this is because I've got an education background too, but it's like we've been out on the road with the chalk. And we've yeah. been doing the ties table on the road. Yeah. <laughs> we've got a little beach down the end of our street. We go down to that with a stick and we're doing our times table in the sand. Yeah. And uh, the, my girls don't want to go back to school at the moment. I think that's yeah. a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't it going to be interesting to see what happens when we have an element of perspective on all this, let's say, from five to ten years' time? It could well be that kids look back on it as probably the most wonderful time in their lives. So what does that tell us? I think, you know, for mine, I think as leaders, we really need to be in touch with the human aspect, like the true human aspect of people. Do yeah. we really get people? Yeah, yeah. And do we get their full lives, not the person who shows up at work? Yeah. You know? And, um, yeah, I think it's a, an intriguing possibility to meet people at that human level first. Yeah. And, and then we talk about business and how we're going to work together as secondary to that. Yeah, and I think to me that's the true essence of leadership. It is. It's really getting touch, getting touch with the human element. Yeah, caring at a at an authentic level, not just for other reasons. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've seen, I've seen that with my wife's business. They've done, you know, she's quite empath- empathetic and um, empathic, I should say. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff that they've done for their staff through COVID has been pretty amazing, actually, uh, where they're really worried about the human aspect of it. Good. And I think that's where, you know, they'll come out of this quite, quite well, whatever come out of this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that once employees f- have that real insight that you care, that's not easily forgotten. Yeah. You know, so down the track when it comes to other things like pay scales and things like that, that becomes less important than the feeling that they have that my employer, my boss really cares. Yeah. Makes a huge difference. Well, you talk you talk about self management, and I know that people like uh, Daniel Goleman and so forth, uh, who are big proponents of um, emotional intelligence, uh, they're seeing that as a, a real critical skill. They're seeing emotional intelligence as being a huge skill to have as a leader over the next kind of twelve months to two years. Yeah, yeah, it's true, isn't it? Um, you know, to know to know what your stresses are, what your motivators are, how you can adapt, you know, what what are some of the things you can do to, to do differently um, yeah. and be deliberate as your book talks about. Yeah, yeah. So to, right. quick, quickly talk about the deliberate as an acronym, actually. That's an interesting, what, what do we mean about being deliberate? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a word I'm really in love with, actually, uh, that idea of being powerful deliberate. Powerful word, so powerful. It's, um, it's a word I really like and when I came across it as a potential anchor for my book, The Ten Behaviours of Successful People, the, the, is the subtitle. But the name of my book, in fact, is The Art of Deliberate Success. And um, the word deliberate, of course, is all about intentionality. Mm. And um, there's a few things about the word deliberate, if you look at it, is that, um, first of all, the word liberate is, is stuck in it. You know, so I, I like that little feature. Yeah. But I love this idea of something being successfully deliberately. Um, and if what that takes away, Craig, is this idea of being successful has got anything to do with luck or yeah. being in the right place at the right time. In fact, um, the more I'm studying it, the more I'm seeing that luck is not really a factor. Um, and in fact, some of the most successful people have the most dreadful luck. <laughs> so, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> and um, oftentimes uh, an example to be used is uh, the life of Steve Jobs, in fact. Yeah. His, uh, his autobiography uh, by Walter Isaacson um, tells his life story in 42 chapters. And the interesting thing about that book is that 38 of the chapters are about failure. Yeah, wow. You know, and there's only one chapter, I think, on the iPhone, for example. And so we think about people like that as being, you know, having everything going well and swimmingly lucky and things like that. But in reality, and you'll find this when, you know, we read autobiographies in particular, the amount of setbacks people who have achieved great things have actually going on in their lives beyond Mm. the superficial is enormous. Um, So that's part of the reason I like the word deliberate is to say it takes that luckiness out of the equation. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the other thing about the word deliberate is that it's got 10 letters in it. Yeah. And right. um, uh, now I won't be able to go into that in the detail of the time we have here, but basically what I've been able to do is use the word deliberate as a, an anchor 
using each of the letters of the word deliberate to illustrate one of the 10 behaviors of successful people. Nice. Um, so what this allows us to do, in fact, is by creating a framework or an infrastructure uh, for thinking about success, because it's a very complex subject. It's yeah, really yeah. Covers the range from psychology to philosophy to, you know, self-improvement, productivity, all sorts of different, I suppose, you know, bases of knowledge. Um, so what I've tried to do in the book has been to pr- create a framework so people can think about their success in their own lives, as I've defined it, as being on the pathway to the achievement of worthwhile dreams, wherever they might be, and um, using this 10 f- ideas in the framework to um, to check out how successful you truly are. And of course, part of that then is I've developed something called a quiz, a DQ quiz, a deliberateness quiz. Uh, which actually allows one to measure um, where somebody is tracking on their on the 10 behaviors. So what we try and do then is to say, well, let's see where you're really good. So what are the two behaviors you're really good at? Yeah. Um, there's probably going to be six of the behaviors that you're okay at. And then there's two of the behaviors, which are the ones that um, need improvement. You need improvement or opportunities. Opportunities. For <laughs> Um, and these are the ones then to focus on. So it's one of those subjects that if not, if we're not careful, somebody could be totally overawed by 10. It's just too much taken yeah. to your head. Yeah. But if we can help somebody isolate out the two of the 10 behaviors that really matter most, it means they can put attention on those. Um, so oftentimes, for example, um, the 10 behaviors is used in conjunction with DISC and also with Patrick Leccioni's uh, oh, five, five behaviors. dysfunctions, yeah. Uh, of a they, of, of, um, of behaviors of a dysfunctional team or something. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So oftentimes then it's possible and that goes really well as a set. So you can think about the five behaviors of a dysfunctional team. Um, then we've got uh, disc and the 10 behaviors. So it just works really well as, as part of a bigger solution. Yeah, we we're big. We love disc, and especially what disc is doing now. There's, there's so much reliable and uh, solid data that comes out of disc. Uh, it's a very very helpful tool. And yeah, Patrick's book is amazing. Some of his stuff is just incredible. Actually, he's I've written a book. I read a book of his lately called The Team Player as well. Uh, a oh, team player, I think. Oh, oh, it's really good. It's actually written after Five Dysfunctions, but it's really set. Before it, uh, it was written. It was written before it, but it didn't come out uh, before it. But it's a, an excellent, excellent read about uh, what leaders should be doing when it comes to hiring people and thinking about their hiring processes. So, and is that it, written in the same kind of format as he has with the? It's a story. Favorites. It's a story. Is that oh, it's, it's just so accessible, isn't it? Yeah, it's a. I like it. I, a part of me feels like it's a little bit naff, but. Look, it's actually quite easy to read too. So it's yeah. it's it's a nice way of reading it. It's actually a nice way of reading it. So oh, good. yeah, and it's, it's, it's all like what you've been talking about, Craig, about just providing tools of people to increase their EQ. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's what all these tools do is that yeah. they help people to develop the self awareness, and with that self awareness, they can go on to do extraordinary things. Yeah. And I guess the question from a leader's perspective is, but what if they what if they find out they should be doing something completely outside of my business? I I've done all this stuff for them and 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 I know that 
you know, I've heard leaders say this before, I've trained them up for three years and now they're bloody leaving on me. But what, what's your take on that, you know, that I, from a leadership perspective? Mm, yeah, what a great question. And that often comes up, you know, in, in the conversation with leaders is what happens. And um, so, so I've got a couple of answers on that. The first is, is a variation on your quotation there. What happens if I train them up and they, they leave? Uh, and it's um, it, the variation on that is what happens if you don't train them up and they stay? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, yeah. So, so Branson the, loves that one. Branson uses that a lot, actually. Yeah, you know, and it's just such a lovely way of 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 thinking about it. But I think the other thing around that it, this raises another fascinating question that you know we could have a whole discussion on, and that is: Is it necessary? And this is a real good question for leaders: Is it necessary for an employee to be passionate about their job? Hmm. And it's one of those questions that I've actually changed my mind on. Where do you sit now? I think the answer is no. Yeah. And, and here's the logic on it. I do believe people need to be passionate about something. Yes. But it may be outside their work. Yeah. And if that's the case, it's possible, isn't it, to see that, let's say, for argument purposes, somebody is a very passionate musician. Now, they can't make a living as a musician. They need a job, a funding mechanism. Yeah. But if they're really clear when they walk in that door or they turn on their computer at home to work, um, the reason they're working is because I really want to buy a new violin. They, in fact, have a high level of engagement with their job. Yes. Because they know the underlying why. It's like uh, Simon Sinek, you know, those that great TED talk, but start with why. Mm. And um, so I think that's a really interesting idea is to be able to design an organization and lead an organization indeed, that you've got people on the team who are not necessarily passionate about the organization, but they're, they're seeing their job as a funding mechanism. And I think, in fact, that's such a great conversation to have with somebody and an honest conversation to have. Um, so that, that's, I think, part of the answer to it. And then the ultimate, I suppose, point that you're coming at there, Craig, is that, you know, you can do all this conversation with people and you just discover that the person is not a good fit. Do you know what? The right thing for them to do is actually go. Yeah, I agree with that. A, a role that they can actually map onto in a meaningful way. It's better for them. It's better for your organization and it's better for the organization that they're going to. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Cause they, that's a gain in their, in their organization. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think I, I've often heard again in these kind of round table mastermind uh, meetings that I run, uh, I've got so-and-so and they're just not putting in that, you know, they leave it, they start at nine and they leave at five and I'm going, yeah, so yeah. Mm-hmm. it's that's if that's what the if that's a, if it's as you call it a funding funding mechanism, you just don't know it's a funding mechanism. You need to understand these people more. Yeah. And if you understand them and that's what they're there for, don't expect them to be in there at 8:30 and go at six o'clock. Because they're just there from nine to five to do what they want to do. And they'll do a good job of it and they'll do it really well. And and you have no reason to to question them. But understand their why, as you say, the Simon Sinek why is is critical. It's critical. And and you might discover after a conversation like that, um, maybe 
that the person could go at three o'clock. Yes. Because that's when their orchestra practice is on. Imagine, imagine that as you, you know, you, you, you're raising money for a new violin orchestra practice at 3.30, but I can't get there twice a week because of work. I now start to hate work. Yeah. Rather than love work because the work is not becoming a mechanism for me to do what I'm passionate about, right? Yeah. So um, they're, they're one of the 50% of people who are leaving looking for new jobs. And it's quite unnecessary, you know? Yeah. It's, um, wow. That's intriguing, isn't it? I think that but this, is a, this is a carryover of, you know, hundreds of years of how we've run businesses as leaders, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's based on, on false beliefs. Yeah. And, um, and you know this, Craig, but beliefs is actually one of the ten behaviours. Yep. I think it's the B in deliberate. It is. It is. In fact, it's the belief. One, two, three, four. It's the fifth one in. There we go. And, I'm good. Um, <laughs> so that's a bit of a giveaway in terms of what they are. But but it's a, it's a fascinating thing that when leaders look at the beliefs that they have around a range of frontiers, they will discover that many of their beliefs, in fact, have evolved over the years. Mm. Um, and there's no rhyme or reason necessarily for having certain beliefs. They just have went on unchecked if you like yeah and that's where deliberateness comes in is that when you're deliberate about your beliefs in fact what you're doing is you're pressing pause the phrase you know that i've used a couple of times there you're pressing pause and you're thinking well what do i actually believe about certain things and maybe i reset you know in a deliberate yeah. way it's i think um yeah and as you say we, we've been forced to to do that uh, more because of what's happening um, and we've just got caught in um, we've got caught in doing what we've always done yeah and that's that's a scary thing so if you were if you were mentoring your I know you're a young man and uh, you know you've probably got mentors yourself but if you were mentoring somebody what uh, what would be two or three things that you would tell a new leader to think about and to contemplate as a leader to, and to be like head on that journey of being a great leader? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, as we talked about earlier, Craig, is become really a student of yourself. Yeah. That's the first thing. Yeah. Um, second thing would be, um, I think it's a really good goal to have of say reading a book or even listening to a book not necessarily reading it the physical book yeah um a book a week yeah um not that hard to do actually when you come come down to it yeah. especially what it was with the audio books available now is that it, it's just you can feed your brain so easily these days yeah um so i think there's that and I think the other thing, so that number one is become a student of yourself. Number two is the reading a book. And I think number three would be to get a coach of some kind. Um, and it's like what you were saying earlier about that, you know, the person being available within the organization, just to, like as a kind of a health check. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing like having a coach available to you. And I think what's going to happen is that um, when you think about it, right, anybody who's really good at something, they all have coaches. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. If yeah, it's, it, very... no, we joked about we joked about the sport, but you know, we just come out of the Olympics. They've they've all got coaches. They're, you know, the rugby, oh. as good as New Zealand are at rugby, and I hate to say that, but as good as they are, you know, they they've had great managers over the years slash coaches, you know, for years. Yeah, it's yeah. and 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 you know that that's the thing. It's it's like. Um, I think it'll become fashionable almost um, to have a coach. Yeah. Um, And I think there's a kind of a reason for that. And one of the things I discovered in my own research many years ago when I looked at CEOs is that oftentimes when you become really senior, uh, people just agree with you. Mm. Because it's not about you. It's about the position that you occupy. Yeah. And, um, so what a coach does then, and this is a phrase that might be worthwhile considering, is having an unreasonable friend. <laughs> you know, that person who's going to call you out and say, no, Craig, that's no. No. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that kind of unre- or, or yes to something that you might be, you know, fearful of. But it's having that kind of a trusting relationship with somebody that knows who you are, what's important to you, and has been able to offer perspective that is impossible within your own head. Um, so my there's own a level, view There's a level of vulnerability, isn't there, as a leader then? Yes. I, I, I'm starting to see more and more that the, the leader that does have a, has a level of vulnerability at times, not all the time, you know, is becoming... Uh, they're becoming the really, for use of a word, successful leaders. They are, yeah, they are. Because they're able to have a human conversation with people. Mm. You know, they, so somebody interacting with them, they're doing so at a human level more so than a boss subordinate kind of level. And the intention is to, to find out about that person, not the intention to find out about them so I can get them to do something different in the workplace. Correct, yeah. Yeah, it's been authentically interested in the human side of it. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Mate, that's that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your insights there. It's um, it's a it's slightly different angle we've taken today, but I wanted to do that on purpose. I, I thought it was really important from the work that you've done over thirty years academically to to put this forward as well, because I think it gets people thinking about what they can do differently as a as a leader. Absolutely. And that was such a unique time to to really step back from it uh, we, because we've got this luxury of time being able to, to really think about what we want going forward, mm. which, which in the past we've just been so busy being busy, Craig, haven't we? We, yeah. hadn't, we hadn't that opportunity to really think about these matters in, in any level of depth. Yeah, it's a statement I've used a lot. I, I say that often. I think there's people being busy being busy. And they're not really, really stopping and, and thinking. So I've got one last question for you. Sure. The All Blacks are on yeah. the field and they're playing the Irish. Yes. Where, <laughs> where, where do your allegiance lie? <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you following the All Greed? The, or are you, are, the, are, you, are you bypass? <laughs> well, for many years, um, I... I 
I would be, you know, you probably know the history of it that the the Irish never beat the All Blacks until a couple, of, probably three or four years ago. Three years was, ago, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, there was there was one game in Dublin. Okay, they came within a point, but they lost at the last kick of the game. Mm. But they, they they beat the beat the, the Irish beat the All Blacks, and I was so happy that you know that day occurred. Um, um, so so now I'm not sure actually. Um, I think it depends on where they're playing almost. Um, right. I mean, I'd love to see the Irish beat the All Blacks in in New Zealand. You know, yes, that would be a wonderful thing. Um, but um, but I mean, their depth of talent though here is unbelievable. It always surprises me that like they they've just such a good machine here in terms of being able to produce these players, and um, and that. So I think at the end of the day, the machine they've developed in New Zealand is just. It's a hell of an organisation that consistently, consistently produces something special. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the quality and, yeah, I think just, yeah, unfortunately I had to say that as a Wallaby supporter, but I do have to stand outside and go, wow, they just continue to perform at, a, at an amazing level. But I think they must be having these conversations. They must know what these guys are like when they come into the dressing room or through the ranks. What are they like? What? Are, how do? How do they perform? What drives them? They, they must be. They must know these people. Oh, they they have spent years. Um, and it's interesting. We listen to the conversations actually with um, the All Blacks in particular. They talk about the environment. Yeah. Um, so in fact, there's less focus on the individual as a player. Yeah. Um, it's all about the creating the environment and even in interviews they often talk about that wow. um but i think one of the tragedies in recent times is that i wish the uh, the wallabies would get wallabies would get better um because it needs that competition i think um one of the problems of rugby at the moment is that they're just too dominant but yep. it wasn't wonderful when japan won yes you know, like it was just such a joy to see a, you know a team like that doing so well you know yeah, exactly right. Exactly sure. right. Well, I, I'm more than happy for the Wallabies to be more competitive, but yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem to oh, well. connect quickly. Well, they're bringing Quade Cooper in this this week, so hopefully <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We'll see if it's a three 0 drumming or not. So, yeah. again, Dr. David King, ten behaviours of successful people. What a great chat! Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Craig. Pleasure, mate.